Father, we ask that as we open up our Bibles, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, and that you would speak to us by your Spirit, and that you'd make us attentive to your voice. And we pray, God, that in attending to your voice, that we might be changed. God, come and work among us, we pray, and confront us and challenge us and encourage us and bring us hope. And we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So we've been in a series over the last several weeks now entitled Every Square Inch. We've been talking together about what it looks like to follow Jesus in every square inch of our lives. In the last couple weeks, we looked specifically at the arena of work And today we're going to be talking about another arena of work, I guess, in some sense. We're talking today about the work of prayer. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we can feel mixed emotions about the topic of prayer, because on the one hand, I think most of us know how vital it is in our lives. I mean, St. Augustine said, Uh, You have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are truly restless until we find our rest in God. You were made for a relationship with the true and living God. And that discipline and that habit and practice where you enjoy the relationship with God, the presence of God, is prayer. And of course, prayer is vital for the mission of God. It was Samuel Chadwick who once said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies or work or Christian activities. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And so on the one hand, we know that prayer is vital for our own life and our soul. It is vital for God's mission. It's vital. But on the other hand, I think a lot of us just struggle with prayer. Uh, We find prayer hard, and there's many reasons for that. Some of us have intellectual issues with prayer. We think, how does prayer work anyway? I mean, if God is sovereign and God is going to do what God is going to do, then why pray anyway? You know, some of us have personal problems with prayer. You know, you've asked God to bring your prodigal son home and they've not come home. Some of you would love to be married and you've prayed for a spouse and God has not given you a spouse or you've prayed for God to heal your mom and God has not healed your mom. And you think, does prayer even work? Or maybe it works for some people, but prayer just doesn't work for me. And of course, some of you, if you're like me, you're doers, you know, and you measure the value of a day by how much you accomplish. You know, and some of you are so aggressive about this that even if you accomplish something that wasn't on your list, you will go back and write it on the list after you accomplished it and check it off just to get credit. Anyone out there like that? We will pray for you. You are... You need therapy. Um, But you know, um, prayer sometimes, it just feels like when you're still and quiet, you're not getting anything done. And I can feel like I sit down to pray and I just start to feel like, okay, I'm praying, but I got to get stuff done. And anybody else feel like that? That's just kind of my, my in, inner, you know. And, and then, of course, uh, there's a perpetual problem of distractions when we do take time to pray. You know, you sit down to pray, and within 10 seconds, you're thinking about bacon, right, or pizza, or or about that hard conversation you had last night, or the painful discussion you got to have later today, and you're overcome with the emotion of it, and you just can't get outside of that. And of course, we live in in a digital age, and we have 
Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and memes and Twitter and texts and email and iPhones and gaming and YouTube and Netflix and Disney Plus and push notifications. And who can settle our mind for five seconds to take space in the presence of God and pray? You know, prayer requires focus and attention, and our brains in this cultural moment are just being rewired for distraction and attention deficit. And so prayer in a secular, digital age is just hard. You know, and so on the one hand, you know, the devil trembles when we pray, but on the other hand, prayer is just difficult. We struggle with prayer. I wonder if any of you at all struggle with prayer. You know, and if that's you, I've got good news because we're going to be looking today at some passages written by a man who was one of the great spiritual masters on prayer. You know, we oftentimes think about the Apostle Paul as a great evangelist. He was a church planner. He was a theologian, a writer. He was the architect for the growth of and the spread of the early Christian movement. But Paul was also a deeply spiritual man, and, and he cultivated a deep, and a rich and an experiential life of prayer with God. And so we're going to learn from him about prayer as he closes out this letter to the church in Colossae. And notice he, he, he makes three general points about prayer in this closing section. Number one, he gives us a general command. And notice what he says in verse two. He says, continue steadfastly or devote yourself to prayer. This isn't a suggestion if you're a follower of Jesus. This is a command. Devote yourself, attach yourself to the discipline, to the, to the habit of prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he moves from this general command to a specific request. He says in verse three, at the same time, pray also for us. Pray for what? that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. So he says, pray for us that God would open doors and give me words to say to make the gospel clear. And then he, a little bit later in the chapter, he gives us a living model of prayer in this man named Epiphras. I used to think his name was Epaphras, which that sounds like a little bit more normal to me, but apparently in the original, you know, pronunciation, it was Epiphras, which reminds me a little bit of Sassafras, you know? Anyway, I don't know why I said that, but I did. Um, Anyway, Epiphras, who was one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you always, and listen to this description of his prayers. He says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you might stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. So he gives a general command, he gives a specific request, and then he gives this living example. But if you bury beneath the surface of these texts, you find uh, three metaphors, three word pictures that help us kind of wrap our minds around the discipline of prayer. And I want to just unpack these three metaphors that are buried below the surface of these, uh, these texts. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our morning. Number one, I, I want you to see, he, he, he draws upon this metaphor, this word picture of a, of a scrappy fight to describe prayer. So number one, I want you to see that prayer is like a scrappy street fight. Look what he says again back in 
verse 12, this description, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you. And then look what it says. It says, always struggling. Now, in the original Greek, uh, that word could also be translated fighting or wrestling. And it's a word that's drawn from the world of athletic contests in the ancient world. And athletic contests in ancient Rome were scrappy affairs, you know? Uh, You would hand-to-hand, you know, combat gladiatorial fights, you know, wrestling, you know, this is kind of like just going after it, getting in people's face. And he says, that's prayer. Prayer is like a scrappy fight. You know, it's interesting, you know, sometimes in the Bible, prayer is spoken of more as a restful, peace-inducing practice where we are still and we know that he is God. Sometimes prayer is like a joyful dance where we are celebrating in God's presence. Uh, Sometimes prayer is like a mirror where our own hearts are exposed before the face of God. But you know, here he's not describing prayer as a, a space of stillness or joyful dance. No, here it's described as a scrappy street fight. He says, prayer is a struggle. It's a a wrestling match. It's a fight. A fight against what? The devil is one. That's right. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And so on the one hand, prayer is a fight against the devil and against the darkness. You know, as Bruce Coburn uh, famously wrote in this song of his, nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. Sometimes you got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. And sometimes prayer is that it's fighting against the darkness. But prayer is also a fight sometimes against our own flesh, You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's a fight, it's a struggle just to get your body out of bed and on your knees because you're tired. You're not ready to do that. Or sometimes it's a fight against your own distracted mind, you know. Facebook co-founder Sean Parker admitted in an interview in in 2017 that the thought process behind Facebook was this. How can we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we needed to sort of give you a little dopamine hit once in a while because someone commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And so those dings and push notifications are incredibly effective, aren't they? And they give you the same thing that a gambler gets when using slot machines. Prayer, for a lot of us, doesn't give us a dopamine high. You know, we don't get much out of it. Sometimes you're praying, it's like your prayer is hitting the ceiling and it's coming back down. Anybody ever feel like that? And so it takes work. You've got to fight against, you know, your distracted mind. Sometimes you've got to fight against boredom. But, you know, if you fight and you lean in to encountering God through the practice of prayer, you will find a depth and a fullness in your life. Have you ever had that experience? I know I have, I, you know, in... Um, I, my first year out here, I was writing my dissertation for my doctor of ministry. 
And I can remember just how much of a fight it was to discipline myself to sit down in front of the computer and just start writing. And it was always the case that the first 30 minutes were the most difficult. And don't you find this, any kind of deep work that just requires focus and attention, the most difficult time is that first like 10, 15, 20, until you, you break through and you get in the zone. You know what I'm talking about? And prayer is like that. Sometimes you've got to fight against all of the distractions and the, you know, the, like, oh, I, you, know, you sit down to pray, you're like, oh, I, 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 did I get a text? And the, 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 I need to check my email. And, um, oh, a puppy YouTube clip. And then, and then the next one is like puppies being dissected. And you're like, oh, what's that like? And then you, I mean, that's the weird stuff that, <laughs> Austin, am I right? That happens, yeah. Yeah, that happened yesterday, didn't it? That was a prophetic word, wasn't it? <laughs> but you know, you got to fight, right? You got to break through to, to get in the zone where you encounter God. But you know, there is nothing worth doing in life there is no depth of character that you cultivate in your life that doesn't require work and effort. It's the easy thing. It's the, 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 the addictive thing that, that is so easy just to kind of like keep going back to that gives you immediate gratification. But that kind of thing leaves you empty and numb. But it's when you press in to the deep practice of prayer. When you fight against all that, you, you, you break through and you get in the zone that you actually cultivate a depth of character and an experience of fullness in life. And so number one, prayer is like a scrappy street fight. But secondly, a second metaphor that you find buried beneath the surface in this text, not only is prayer like a scrappy street fight, but prayer, according to this text, is like a key that opens doors that would otherwise remain locked. Look at how he puts it back in verse three. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, what, do, what should we pray? That God may open to us a door for the word. He says, there are closed doors around me, opportunities that would otherwise never open before me, hearts that would never become vulnerable and ready to receive unless God opened up those doors and God opened up those hearts and God opened up those opportunities. And the key that opens those opportunities is the practice of prayer. Prayer opens doors that would otherwise be closed. You know, I was walking through the neighborhood here in Sierra Madre yesterday, just kind of like thinking about this text. And I was walking by homes and I just started to pray, God, open up the doors of these homes that the gospel might go in to people's hearts and lives, that they could know the love and power of your son, Jesus. And friends, we need to pray that around San Gabriel Valley. Pray that around your neighborhoods. God, open up opportunities around me. Open up opportunities at school with my roommates, with, as, I, as I enter into a new semester at college, as I, as I go to work, God, as I interact, God, open up opportunities for me to bear witness of your love. Prayer is the key that opens up those opportunities before us. You know, sometimes you encounter people that are hardened to the gospel. They don't want to hear. And you think they're so closed 
Turn to God and pray, God, open up their heart. Prayer is the key that opens up those closed hearts. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that prayer is like some magical incantation and formula. And if you just get the right way of doing it, you know, and Jesus and God, you know, like you just kind of like say it right, you know, all of a sudden, like you, you, you turn the lever, you know, and God works on your behalf. The real key isn't prayer, it's the God who is hearing our requests. God is the one who has power, but God has chosen to hear and to respond to our prayers and open those doors that would otherwise be closed. And it's interesting to me that Paul is in prison when he prays these words. And what is he, when he's asking for prayer, when he's like, look, pray for me, what does he ask for prayer about? It's not that the prison doors would be open. The prayer is that the doors for the gospel to go forward into other people's lives would be open. And they were. You know, a little bit uh, earlier in one of Paul's letters in the, in the book of Philippians, in a letter that he wrote to that church, he said this, he said, I want you to know that what has happened to me, being put in prison, and when he's in prison, he's in a dark, barren cell. He is chained for three, four hours at a time to some hard-bitten Roman soldier. And he says, I want you to know that through your prayers, this has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it's become known to the whole praetorium guard that my chains are in Christ. A little bit later in the letter, he says, hey, uh, he gives the name of somebody who's from Caesar's household, who's in the Praetorium Guard. He says, he greets you, church. People in Caesar's household were getting saved because, you know, you think like for three, four hours at a time, uh, some hard-bitten Roman guard was being chained to the most effective evangelist the world has ever seen. And one by one, people are coming to know Christ. But that is what Paul cared about. That's what he was praying. He says, look, pray that doors of opportunity would be open, that hearts would be open so that the gospel could go forward. And he invites us to engage in that kind of prayer. Are you? Friends, we need to do more than simply pray that God would heal us of ailments that the doctors can't take care of, which is kind of what occupies the vast majority of our prayers. Now, don't get me wrong, that's okay. It is good and right to pray that God would heal, but we need to go beyond that and we need to pray that the gospel would go forward into new hearts and new lives. You know, I believe God does have a future for our church. Can I get a witness? But if we are gonna have a future, we've gotta pray that God would go before us and that he would open up opportunities. Even this summer, we've got events. We've got kids' events. We've got uh, events we're gonna do in the park, and there's stuff we're doing, but we need to pray over those that God would give us opportunities through those events so that new people could hear about Jesus, and that as they're hearing about Jesus, that God would open up their hearts. And the key that opens those doors and those hearts is the discipline of, of faithful, trusting prayer. So number one, he wants us to see that prayer is like a scrappy street fight. Number two, he wants us to see that prayer is like a key that opens doors that would otherwise be locked. But thirdly, I want you to see, uh, he, he wants us to see that prayer is like a tower guard on watch duty. Look back at verse two. 
He says this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, I think this is curious. He says, continue, devote yourself to prayer, but in your prayer, be watchful. I always thought that was curious because when I was younger, I was always taught to close my eyes and focus on prayer. And here he's saying, look, I want you to be awake and alert and watching around you. (laughs) And what he's calling them to do is he's using this word that's drawn from uh, the the, the world of kind of like um, the military and specifically those who would stand in a watchtower at the very top and stand guard and look out over the vast expanse and be awake and alert to see coming, you know, foes as well as friends. And he says, this is what prayer is like. In your prayer, I want you to be awake and alert and to be on the watch for incoming foes and friends. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? And I, you know, I've always wondered about that, you know, and, and, and there's some debate among commentators and some discussion about what Paul had in mind when he says prayer with watchfulness. And some have said that what he, he's thinking is be watchful uh, for kind of like places where darkness and temptation are coming in and be aware of that and then pray against those things. And he may be meaning that. Some have said that Oftentimes when the scriptures talk about watchfulness, it's being watchful for the second coming of Christ. And so in that sense, it's being prayer, be, be in prayer with anticipation that Jesus could arrive at any moment. And certainly that, that's also true, but I'm not sure that that's what he has in mind here because I want you to see he couples watchfulness with thanksgiving. He says, be watchful with thanksgiving. And I think what he has in mind here is what uh, one a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright suggests and that he's saying be watchful for how God is answering your prayers. Be aware and awake to how God is attending to and responding to your cries for him to work on your behalf. Notice that and see that. And when he answers, stand up and give him thanks. You know, in this sense, he's using in the same sense that uh, is used in the book of Habakkuk when he says this. uh, He says, I will take my stand on my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see how God may answer. He said, I want you to watch and see how God will answer your prayers. In other words, pray with watchful and trusting anticipation that God is the God who hears and answers prayer. Or just put it simply like this, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Do you believe that? God answers prayer. Now, the modern man thinks that the universe is closed and that we live in a mechanistic universe, an endless succession of cause and effect where every effect has some natural cause and that there's no outside help of anything breaking in. But Paul and Jesus would say to the modern man, you are wrong. Our universe and your life and your, your, your marriage and your depression and your, 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 your life and all the things you're... It is open to the sovereign power and the gracious love of God. God answers prayer. 
I mean, sometimes we use that analogy, you know, we talk about a man who's in a boat. We say prayer is like a man in a boat, and he casts this line to a, a, an island, and it hooks on the island, and he starts uh, reeling it in. And we ask, who is moving, class, the boat or the island? The boat. And they say that's how prayer is. You know, we cast our prayer off to God, and the more we are in tune with God's will, it's not actually God who changes or does anything different. It's us who change in prayer. And there may be some sense in which that's true, but doesn't that make prayer something of a charade? God is only pretending to answer your prayers by doing what God was already going to do anyway. Listen, God answers prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I believe in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign and free. But in his sovereignty and freedom, God has determined to be responsive to the cries of his people. And he delights to hear and respond to our prayers. There's this great story that Tony Campolo uh, shares of the time he went to go speak at this Pentecostal Bible college in Philadelphia. And before he spoke, they took him into the backstage room where they prayed over him. He said, that was awesome. What wasn't awesome? He said, they were Pentecostals and they prayed way too long. And, um, and he said, their prayer just went on and on. And he said, and they had laid their hands on my head. If you've ever seen Tony Campolo, he's bald. And so you think about their sweaty hands being laid on his head. And the prayer just went on and on. And he said, um, that at, 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 on top of all that, there was this one guy who he said, he wasn't even praying for me. He was praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzvitz. And he said that the guy says, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzvitz. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, down the road, just right on the right-hand side. And Tony says, I want to inform him, inform the prayer that it was not necessary to furnish God with directional material. And he went on, Lord, Charlie told me, or Charlie uh, told me this this morning that he was going to leave his wife and three kids, step in and do something, God, and bring that family back together. And then the prayer time ended, and Tony goes out and he gives his talk, and then he gets on the New Jersey Turnpike, and uh, as he's on the the Turnpike, he, he picks up a hitchhiker, and he, he says, my name's Tony Campolo, what's your name? And the man said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfitz. <laughs> Campolo says, I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and I headed back. He got a little uneasy with that. And after a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And Tony said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked why. I said, you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. Then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge and asked, how did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. I believe God did tell me. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. And he whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. And then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, and I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to listen. And the man, did they listen? That afternoon, I led those two young people to Christ. Friends, God answers prayer. We need to watch how God is responding to our prayers. Now, I know, I know that sometimes, sometimes if you're like me, 
You get tired of watching because you've had too many experiences of praying for very specific things and they weren't answered. And it's almost vulnerable and risky to pray with expectation and faith because you're afraid you might get let down. But we need to, as the people of God, trust and believe that God does hear and answer prayer. Now again, don't misunderstand me. Prayer is not God's solution to every ill in this world. God's plan is not to right every single wrong in the world and to heal every sickness because people pray. God has righted all of the wrongs. God's solution to the world's problem was the incarnation and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where God took on the power of sin and death and darkness and broke that power forever. And God's ultimate plan is for Jesus Christ to return and upon the physical and the bodily return of Jesus Christ for God to establish his kingdom of justice and peace and healing on earth. That's very good news, amen? But in the meantime, we suffer. You know, Paul, as he was in writing this letter, he's in prison. And no doubt, do you know what kind of food you ate in a Roman prison? He probably got stomach bugs. He was probably feeling sick. I don't imagine God was healing everything that was wrong with Paul. And yet nonetheless, in spite of and in the midst of the suffering and the tribulation and pain, oftentimes God is answering prayers in surprising ways. But our problem is we often just are not keeping track. You know, since the late 80s, over 130 studies have been done, set up with the most careful scientific controls of uh, coronary patients and people who prayed over them. And there was one uh, study that was done with about 400 patients, and the results were so impressive. Uh, of the group of patients that were prayed for, significantly fewer died, fewer required the use of more potent drugs, and no one was put on life support. And it struck me when I read that, that maybe all of those prayers for my friends who have been sick and been in pain, maybe they've been of more avail than I thought. And I'm sure if you perform that same study on job seekers who pray or on spouse seekers who pray, you would find the same result. I mean, I know that my wife would have never married me were it not for answered prayer. You know? God hears and he answers our prayers. And so we need to lean in and we need to pray in faith and we need to watch in expectation for how God may be answering our prayers. You know, my grandmother, Thea, was a master at this. And I remember after she went to be with the Lord, uh, she, she, had, she had had catalogs and catalogs of prayer books. And I remember sitting down and my, my brother and I sitting on the couch, just kind of like reading through grandma's prayer journals. And she would have all the requests on one side. And then she would have carefully cataloged the date and time when God answered those prayers. She noticed, she was watching, and she was giving God thanks. There was one entry, it just said, uh, 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 my brother's name is Brent. It just said, Lord, help Brent. I remember sitting with my brother thinking like, what was happening in your life at that time, you know? 
But sometimes God is answering more of your prayers than you think, but you're just not keeping track or you're not watching maybe where God wants to move and how God is uniquely moving, not to heal every sickness and right every wrong, but even in the midst of all of that, to actually see the gospel move forward and to see new awarenesses and experiences of his love break out in your heart and life because of his work in you. So here are three images of prayer. To encourage you, I hope, to continue steadfastly in prayer in the midst of a very distracted secular age in which we inhabit. Prayer is like a street fight, and uh, prayer is like turning a key that opens doors that would otherwise remain locked. And prayer, prayer, it's like standing on a watchtower, looking out, seeing where God is at work and how he's responding to your prayer. But let me just, let me just close by saying this. You might be here and you, you, might, you might be 100% new to Christianity. And, and, and you've prayed before in your life, you know, in moments of crisis, we've all prayed, you know, when, when you thought you were going to die or you're on the road, you know, you almost lose your life or you're in a, you know, marriage is falling apart. You're like, God, help me, you know. And, and, uh, but you, you never really understand exactly what prayer is about. Friends, here is what, prayer is. It is the creator of all things. The Lord of everything who has been pleased to name himself Father to us and say, you can be my child. I have come into this world so that you can be forgiven, so that your relationship with me that was wrong can be righted, so that you can become a child of God, so that you can approach God, not just as a fearful you know, creation who's standing in terror of the creator, but you can approach God as a father and as a friend. And that is a gift that God offers to you by grace alone. You can enter into a relationship with God if you just call out to him, you say, God, I am empty, I'm lost, I don't know what I'm doing. You don't need to climb a ladder of religion to get to God. He has come down to you so that you can know him. And if you just come to him and you say, God, I receive this free gift, you can be brought into the family and made a son or daughter of God. And I would invite you to do that if you've not yet entered a relationship with God, is come to him today and say, God, I need you, I want you, and God will receive you as you are. He will wash you and forgive you and cleanse you, and he will make you a child through all that he has done on your behalf in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is very, very good news. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now with wonder and awe that we can call you Father. And we confess that many of us have neglected you. We have neglected our relationship with you and we have turned instead to quick distractions that take us away from our anxieties and our fears 
just for a moment, but often have the effect of only creating deeper and worse anxiety and fear. God, turn our hearts to you and to your love. Help us, God, to become a people that engages in this difficult but yet so life-giving habit and practice and discipline of prayer. God, help us take time away from our devices, away from our entertainment, away from the news. God, help us to break away from all of that and to be still and quiet in your presence and to lean in to this practice. God, help us, we pray this week. And we ask this in Christ's name, through whom you have made this new relationship with you possible. Amen.